poets and intellectuals of this time, the innovative minds, the intelligentsia, those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers, the revolutionaries, those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original and brutal. You have tuned into The Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you for the next hour with poetry and music. I've been doing some literary sleuthing into the Hunger Games trilogy, young adult science fiction by American novelist Suzanne Collins. And for those of you who think you are reading too much into a kid's book, you're not wrong and you're not alone. So thank you to my nephew Max, who introduced me to this captivating series, which takes place in a dark vision of the near future in the totalitarian nation of Panem. The country is ruled by the wealthy capital, consisting of 12, formerly 13, poorer districts. Every year, the districts are forced to sacrifice tributes, one girl and boy, as punishment for a past rebellion against the capital. These tributes are selected by lottery and then forced to appear in a live televised event called the Hunger Games, where there is one rule, kill or be killed. The trilogy is full of Greek myths, Roman imagery and names, philosophical viewpoints, historical events, and Susan Collins also had Shakespeare in mind when writing the series. The more obvious being Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar's, and others like his lesser known controversial play, Titus Andronicus, and the tragedy of Coriolanus. The main antagonist of the Hunger Games is the evil ruler of the capital and all of Panem. President Coriolanus Snow. The original Coriolanus, Gaius Martius Coriolanus, was a general of the early Roman Republic. During a famine in 491 BC, Coriolanus suggested that no grain be given to the poor unless they gave up their right to elect representatives. The people represented his proposal and exiled him. Coriolanus joined his previous enemies to get revenge and led their army to Rome's gates. He was about to capture Rome when his mother and wife persuaded him to spare it. And of course for his betrayal, the enemy of his enemies killed him. So let's start with a track from the soundtrack of The Hunger Games, The Ruler and the Killer, which depicts President Coriolanus Snow.
attention fictitious tyrant President Coriolanus Snow from the Hunger Games books. Coriolanus fascinated many, including T.S. Eliot, who revisits the story in his poem, Triumphal March from Coriolane, written when Western democracies were undergoing increasing political crisis out of which aristocrats and quasi-aristocratic types, so-called strongmen, were beginning to emerge as autocratic rulers. Meanwhile, the world had sunk into the throes of the Great Depression, an economic catastrophe that was making formerly stable Western societies, still tottering in the aftermath of an expensive World War I, increasingly unstable and ripe for the political picking by demagoguery. Now, a demagogue is a political leader in a democracy who appeals to the emotions, prejudices and ignorance of the population in order to gain power and promote political motives. Demagogues usually oppose deliberation and advocate immediate violent action to address a national crisis. From current times to ancient Athens, demagogues have appeared. They exploit a fundamental weakness in democracy because ultimate power is held by the people. Nothing stops a people from giving that power to someone who appeals to the lowest common denominator of a large segment of the population. And this was occurring in Eliot's time with the rise of dictators like Mussolini and Hitler, which makes this poem interesting. For behind the enthusiastic scene of glitter of pomp and circumstance is a celebration of death and destruction. Stone, bronze, stone, steel, stone, oak leaves, horses' heels over the paving, and the flags, and the trumpets, and so many eagles. How many? Count them, and such a press of people. We hardly knew ourselves that day, or knew the city. This is the way to the temple, and we so many crowding the way. So many waiting. How many waiting? What did it matter on such a day? Are they coming? No, not yet. You can see some eagles and hear the trumpets. Here they come. Is he coming? The natural wakeful life of Ardigo is a perceiving. We can wait with our stools and our sausages. What comes first? Can you see? Tell us. It is... Five million eight hundred thousand rifles and carbines, 
102,000 machine guns, 28,000 trench mortars, 53,000 field and heavy guns, I cannot tell how many projectiles, mines and fuses, 13,000 aeroplanes, 24,000 aeroplane engines, 50,000 ammunition wagons, now 55,000 army wagons, 11,000 field kitchens, 1,150 field bakeries. What a time that took. Will it be he now? No. Those are the golf club captains. These the scouts. And now the Société Gymnastique de Poissy. And now come the mayor and the liverymen. Look, there he is now. Look. There is no interrogation in his eyes or in the hands, quiet over the horse's neck. And the eyes watchful, waiting, perceiving, indifferent. Oh, hidden under the dove's wing, hidden in the turtle's breast, under the palm tree at noon, under the running water, at the still point of the turning world. Oh, hidden. Now they go up to the temple. Then the sacrifice. Now come the virgins bearing urns, urns containing dust. Dust, dust of dust, and now stone, bronze, stone, steel, stone, oak leaves, horses, heels over the paving. That is all we could see, but how many eagles and how many trumpets? And Easter Day, we didn't get to the country, so we took young Cyril to church. And there rang a bell, and he said right out loud, Crumpets, don't throw away that sausage, it'll come in handy. He's artful. Please, will you, give us a light? 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 Il est soldat faisait la haie, il la faisait. She walked him to the corner Till the building came in view He insisted he could go the rest Like other big boys do Seems like only last week But then was worlds away Now he holds his mother's hand With a whole lot left to say country raised its flag halfway before the day was done A nation rallied round its heroes and then took up their guns The politicians counted sides to see who lost and won But a mother's heart was broken She lost a son She walks him to the corner Down the road they'd walked before Seeing for the first time All the things he'd see no more A twenty-year-old uniform They salute in admiration The coffins draped in colors Offer little consolation country raised its flag halfway before the day was done A nation rallied round its heroes 
and then took up their guns. The politicians counted sides to see who lost and won. But a mother's heart was broken. She lost a son. Iron wheels won't bend, and they refuse to hear the story. Ever ending glory, carve their names in concrete stone so that the passerby wears crimson colored flowers and don't ask You are listening to The Bohemian Beat, produced at Bay FM and Byron Bay and heard nationally across the community radio network. We just heard Elaine Levitry with A Woman's Son and before that T.S. Eliot reading his poem Triumphal March from Coriolan. Today on the show we are exploring some of the poetic ideas and themes in the sci-fi series The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins, who challenges the reader to think about oppression, poverty, marginalisation, war and sacrifice. The sacrificing of children is at the heart of a biblical story called Binding of Isaac or Slaughter, where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah, where Isaac is bound to an altar, the angel of God stops Abraham at the last minute saying, now I know you fear God. At this point, Abraham sees a ram caught in some nearby bushes and sacrifices the ram instead. American singer-songwriter and poet, Leonard Cohen, visits the archetypal biblical story in his piece, Story of Isaac where he explores the notion of being born into spiritual sacrifice and denied the right to choose what you inherit. Cohen adopts the perspective of a young Isaac to twist the story into one unconsciously charged with suggestions of child abuse. The door, it opened slowly my father, he came in, I was nine years old And he stood so tall above me Blue eyes, they were shining And his voice was very cold Said I've had a vision And you know I'm strong and holy I must do what I've been told started up the mountain I was running he was walking and his axe was made of gold 
trees they got much smaller in the lake a lady's mirror we stopped to drink some wine then he threw the bottle over broke a minute later and he put his hand on mine thought I saw an eagle but it might have been a vulture I never could decide then my father built an altar he looked once behind his shoulder he knew I would not hide you who build the altars now to sacrifice these children you must not do it anymore a scheme is not a vision and you never have been tempted by a demon or a god you who stand above them now your hatchet's blunt and bloody you were not there before father's hand was trembling with the beauty of the word and if you call me brother now forgive me if i inquire just according to whose plan when it all comes down to dust I will kill you if I must. I will help you if I can. When it all comes down to dust, I will help you if I must. I will kill you if I can. And mercy on our uniform, man of peace or man of war. The peacock spreads his fan. Was Leonard Cohen with the story of Isaac, which embodies the innocent perspective becoming distorted by gross perversion of power and position. In this next poem by English poet Wilfred Owen, The Parable of the Old Man and the Young, Owen compares the ascent of Abraham to Mount Moriah and his sacrifice there with the start of the Great War. The poem begins as a Bible story does, with Abraham preparing his son Isaac for sacrifice as God commanded. But Owen then twists the tale by making the place of sacrifice the Western Front, where the government chose not to end the war by sacrificing their pride. Instead, they went ahead and wiped out a generation. So Abram rose and clave the wood and went, and took the fire with him and a knife. And as they sojourned, both of them together, Isaac, the firstborn, spake and said, My father, behold the preparations, fire and iron, but where the lamb for this burnt offering? Then Abram bound the youth with belts and straps, and builded parapets and trenches there, and stretched forth the knife to slay his son, when, lo, an angel called him out of heaven, saying, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. Behold, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Offer the ram of pride instead of him. But the old man would not so, but slew his son and half the seed of Europe 
one by one. Daughter by Arcade Fire, a very clever song that adds a twist to the story of Isaac and Abraham from the soundtrack to The Hunger Games. The purpose of The Hunger Games is to provide entertainment for the capital and to serve as a warning to the districts to remind them of the capital's power and lack of remorse. And before that we heard Wilfred Owen's poem, The Parable of the Old Man and the Young, read by Joan Baez, a poem where Owen takes the traditional biblical story of Abraham and Isaac and uses it as a vehicle to describe his feelings about the nature of war itself and sacrifice. The idea of comparing human beings to the sacrificial lamb takes its roots in the binding of Isaac. English romantic poet William Blake makes frequent references to lambs. This next series of poems by William Blake from Songs of Innocence and Experience are called The Lamb Introduction and The Little Boy Lost. Piping down the valleys wild, piping songs of pleasant glee, on a cloud I saw a child, and he, laughing, said to me, Pipe a song about a lamb. So I piped with merry cheer. Piper, pipe that song again. So I piped, he wept to hear. Drop thy pipe, thy happy pipe, sing thy songs of happy cheer. So I sung the same again, while he wept with joy to hear. 
Piper, sit thee down and write in a book that all may read. So he vanished from my sight. And I plucked a hollow reed, and I made a rural pen, and I stained the water clear, and I wrote my happy songs every child may joy to hear. Little lamb, who made thee? Dost thou know who made thee? Gave thee life and bid thee feed by the stream and o'er the mead. Gave thee clothing of delight, softest clothing, woolly, bright. Gave thee such a tender voice, making all the vales rejoice. Little lamb, who made thee? Dost thou know who made thee? Little lamb, I'll tell thee. Little lamb, I'll tell thee. He is called by thy name, for he calls himself a lamb. He is meek and he is mild. He became a little child. I a child and thou a lamb. We are called by his name. Little lamb, God bless thee. Little lamb, God bless thee. Father, father, where are you going? Oh, do not walk so fast. Speak, father, speak to your little boy, or else I shall be lost. The night was dark, no father was there. The child was wet with dew. The mire was deep, and the child did weep, and away the vapor flew. The little boy, lost in the lonely fen, led by the wandering light, began to cry. But God, ever nigh, appeared like his father in white. He kissed the child and by the hand led and to his mother brought, who in sorrow pale through the lonely dale her little boy weeping sought. Come away, little lamb, come away to the 
This is the Bohemian Beat, and that was Come Away to the Water by Maroon 5 from the soundtrack to the movie The Hunger Games, where child tributes fight to the death in a deadly arena. And before that, Joe Van Fleet reading three poems from Blake's Songs of Innocence and Experience. William Blake, in his later life, was commissioned to produce a series of engravings for the Divine Comedy by Dante, an Italian poet of the Middle Ages who lived between 1265 and 1321. Blake shared Dante's distrust of materialism and the corruptive nature of power, and clearly relished the opportunity to represent the atmosphere and imagery of Dante's work pictorially. On the surface, the poem describes Dante's travels through hell, purgatory and heaven, but at a deeper level it represents allegorically the soul's journey towards God. This next piece is Canto 9 of the Inferno where Dante is led by the Latin poet Virgil and enters into the fifth circle of hell, anger. And Dante encounters the legacy of the Greek heroes Theseus and Hercules 
and Theseus is an inspiration for the main character of the Hunger Games. Inferno, Canto 9 When I saw my guide was turning back, the blood completely drained from my face, which made his own color return quickly. He stopped, attentive, like a man listening intently, because he could not see very far through the black air and through the heavy fog. Still it behooves us to win this fight, he began. Or else, no, we were offered help. Oh, how I wish that some would arrive. I understood and knew what he had started to say, though he quickly tried to cover it up. But his last words were very different from his first. Nonetheless, I was afraid of what he said, because I finished the sentence in my head, perhaps to a worse meaning than he had meant. Has anyone ever descended from the first circle to the bottom of this miserable canyon in which the primary punishment is having all hope cut off? He answered me, It is very rare that one of us makes the journey upon which we go now. It is true, I was here once before, conjured by that heartless witch Erichtho, who summons back the spirits into their bodies. Soon after I left my body on earth above, she sent me through these very walls to bring a spirit from the circle of Judas. That is the lowest region and the darkest, and farthest from the heaven which circles everything. I know this way very well. Therefore, be reassured. This swamp, which carries such a prodigious stench, encompasses the city of misery that we cannot enter without a fight. I know that he said more, but I can't remember it, because my eyes were drawn to the high tower with the red flaming summit, where I saw, flying fast and reckless, the three infernal furies, stained with blood, who had the bodies and mannerisms of women. Around their waists they wore green hydras, small snakes and serpents made up their hair, completely entwining their savage temples. And he, who knew well these handmaids of the Queen of Everlasting Lamentation, said to me, There they are, the fierce furies. This is Megara on the left. The one weeping on the right is Electo. Tisiphone is in the middle. And then he said nothing. Each was clawing at her breasts with her nails. They beat them with their palms and cried so loud that I pressed close unto the poet out of fear. Medusa, come, so that we can change him into stone, they all shouted looking down. At this moment we can now avenge ourselves for allowing Theseus to escape. Turn around and keep your eyes closed shut, for if the Gorgon Medusa does appear and you see her, you would never be able to return upward. This the master said, and he turned me around himself, and not trusting my own hands, he covered my eyes with his own. For those of you who are educated, understand the hidden meaning of the strange words that follow. Suddenly, Across the putrid waves, a blast of sound shot through the air, shaking the ground all around us. It sounded like a violent wind, clashing like the savage heat that attacks a burning forest and, without restraint, rips the branches, beats them down, and carries them away. Pressing forward, laden with dust, it goes unyielding and sends the wild beasts and the shepherds running. He moved his hands and said, Look there! along the ancient foam, there where that smoke is most intense. Even as frogs, when seeing the hostile serpent across the water, scatter everywhere, until each one is safely hidden in the earth, I saw more than a thousand ruined souls thus fleeing a divine spirit, 
who walked across the river Styx. He fanned the putrid air away from his face, waving his left hand often in front of him, and that was the only effort he made. I knew that he was sent from heaven, and I turned to the master, but he raised his hand so I would be silent and bow before this spirit. Ah, how scornful the spirit appeared to be! He reached the gate, and with a small rod he opened it with no resistance. You cowards who are banished from heaven, he began as he stood on that horrid threshold, where is the arrogance that you had before? Think twice before you defy the commands from those who can never be kept out, and who has the power to increase your pains many times. What good does it do to butt your head against such power? Cerberus tried, if you remember, and for that both his chin and throat were peeled clean of their skin. Then he returned along the murky road, and said no word to us, but had the look of one who was distracted by other thoughts, rather than those who were in his presence at this time. So we walked towards the city, confident now that those holy words were spoken. We entered without any fight or protest, and I was curious to see what sufferings this fortress would hold. As soon as I was inside, I looked around, and saw graves and tombs everywhere across a massive plain, filled with suffering and distress and terrible torment. Even as at Arl, where the Rhone grows stagnant, even as at Pola, near the Quarano, that shuts in Italy and bathes its borders, the tombs make the ground jagged and uneven. This is how it was everywhere along this plain, except here they had a crueler purpose. The flames between the tombs were scattered and burned so intensely hot that melted iron could not be hotter. All of the tombs were uncovered and open, and from them you could hear the dire laments, so that I knew the wretched souls were being tormented. And I said, My master, who are those people lying in those tombs who scream their miserable cries? And he said to me, Here are the heretics with their disciples of all sects, and much more than you think is held in those tombs. Here similar people are buried together, and the graves burn more or less accordingly. And then as he turned to the right, we walked between the tormented souls and the high walls. What lies beneath the door? What keeps you? Explore. Do you take the chance to defeat the souls? The gates are opening. The choice, the future, the future, the future is yours. So now you've found all you were looking for. How you gonna find your way out of the maze? You hear those jealous hands, those bitter men Carve their meat before the table is laid And they are hungry, they are hungry for you They are hungry, they are With an appetite insatiable They are hungry, they are hungry for you 
Wolf with Theseus, and before that, Joe J. Thomas reading from Italian poet Dante's Divine Comedy. This next poem by Russian poet Anna Akhmatova is about Dante and simply called Dante. Dante by Anna Akhmatova. Il mio bel San Giovanni. Even after death he did not return to his old Florence. Leaving he did not look back. I sing this song to him. The torch and the night and the last embrace beyond the threshold of fate's wild lament. He from hell sent her a curse and could not forget her even in heaven. But he did not pass candle in hand in his penitence shirt through the Florence he wanted, faithless, low, and long awaited. That was Larissa Shimela reading Dante, a poem by Anna Akhmatova. Anna Akhmatova was a modernist Russian poet who lived between 1886 and 1966, who is considered a legend in her own time for her brilliant poetry and her resistance to oppression. 
This next piece is an excerpt from Requiem, a lyrical cycle of allergy, lamentation and witness written between 1935 and 1940, depicting the suffering of the common people under the Stalinist terror. No, not under the vault of alien skies, and not under the shelter of alien wings. I was with my people then, there, where my people, unfortunately, were. In the terrible years of the Yezhov terror, I spent 17 months in the prison lines of Leningrad. Once, someone recognised me. Then a woman with bluish lips standing behind me, who, of course, had never heard me called by name before, woke up from the stupor to which everyone had succumbed and whispered in my ear. Everyone spoke in whispers there. Can you describe this? And I answered, yes, I can. Then something that looked like a smile passed over what had once been her face. Mountains bowed down to this grief. Mighty rivers cease to flow, but the prison gates hold firm, and behind them are the prisoners' burrows and mortal woe. For someone, a fresh breeze blows. For someone, the sunset luxuriates. We wouldn't know. We are those who everywhere hear only the rasp of the hateful key and the soldier's heavy tread. We rose as if for an early service, trudged through the savaged capital and met there, more lifeless than the dead. The sun is lower and the Neva mistier. But hope keeps singing from afar, the verdict, and her tears gush forth. Already she is cut off from the rest, as if they painfully wrenched life from her heart, as if they brutally knocked her flat. But she goes on, staggering, alone, where now are my chance friends of those two diabolical years? What do they imagine is in Siberia's storms? What appears to them dimly in the circle of the moon? I am sending my farewell greeting to them. That was when the ones who smiled were the dead, glad to be at rest. And like a useless appendage, Leningrad swung from its prisons. And when, senseless from torment, regiments of convicts marched and the short songs of farewell were sung by locomotive whistles, the stars of death stood above us and innocent Russia writhed under bloody boots and under the tires of the Black Marias. They led you away at dawn. I followed you like a mourner. In the dark front room the children were crying. By the icon shelf the candle was dying. On your lips was the icon's chill, the deathly sweat on your brow. Unforgettable, I will be like the wives of the Streltsy, howling under the Kremlin towers. Quietly flows the quiet dawn, yellow moon slips into a home. He slips in with cap askew, he sees a shadow, yellow moon. This woman is ill, this woman is alone. Husband in the grave, son in prison, say a prayer for me. 
listening to the Bohemian Beat. And that was Lincoln Park with The Requiem. And before that, Lel, reading excerpts from Requiem by Russian poet Anna Akhmatova. Well, that is all we have time for today on The Bohemian Beat. I hope you've enjoyed the show and make sure you tune in again next week for more poetry and music. We will end with a track by Corrine Polward called Tears for Lot's Wife based on a poem by Anna Akhmatova. Thank you for joining me on the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready. A righteous light is carrying a just man Salt suffused her body.